want to say happy Sabbath to everyone who is watching via the internet or listening through phone to the Parkwood SDA Church worship service. I'd like to first thank God for the breath of life, for the fact that I can breathe today. There are many families who are weeping right now because they have lost a loved one, and they wish that they could be around today to see this day. So I want to thank you to God, who I call the landlord of life. And so uh, he knows how long we have on this earth, and so we want to be careful to give him the praise, honor, and glory. Our pastor, John Talay, sends his greetings to the Parkwood SDA Church family, and he asked me to notify you that uh, he needed to take uh, this weekend to see a family member who was in need. So he will be back, of course, to be with you at the appropriate time. So I'm blessed to step uh, in his stead to preach the word of God today, as is uh, my pleasure to do. And, um, you know, it's no small task to stand behind the sacred desk and to proclaim God's word to his people. So I hope that today will be a Sabbath sermon that you will hear that will stay with you for all of your days. And you will share it with your friends and even watch it again on YouTube or wherever you're watching this right now. And um, I just love the fact that I can stand here before God's people. And usually I would have sermon appetizers, but I'm going to go straight into it today. I want to spend some time in this word today. Uh, my scripture reading comes from James 2, verse 10. James 2, verse 10. And uh, it reads, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of them all. James 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend it in one point, he is guilty of them all. Let us bow as we spend some time together in this sermon entitled, All or Nothing. Loving Lord, we great, we're so grateful to be in your presence today. You are the audience as we lift your name in spirit and in truth. Guide me behind the cross right now to lift up your word before the people of God. And may they all hear and do your will. This is my inspiration in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, because the law is, a, is an expression of God's character, to ignore one part of it is to be in violation of the whole law. If you didn't catch that, I'll repeat it. Because the law is an expression of God's character, to ignore one part of it is to be in violation of the whole law. Let me break it down a little bit more. Okay, so next month on Valentine's Day, I will celebrate with my wife 11 years of marriage. Okay, amen. Valentine's Day. Imagine if I told my wife, you know what? There are 365 days in a year. I'll be faithful to you for 364. But I want one day to flirt with all the women I can just for one day of the year. But the rest of the year, I'm all yours, baby. Would she say, I like that deal, honey? <laughs> no, but I'm giving you 364 days of undivided attention. Give me one day to flirt with how many women I want to. She would say, oh, no, it's all or what? Or nothing. It's all or nothing. So, 
This understanding is revealed in the gospel narrative known as the rich young ruler. If you turn with me to uh, Matthew 19, and we'll read from verse 16 on. This story of the rich young ruler, you may have heard of it before. If not, today's your first day to hear the story. Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16. The Bible reads, Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have everlasting life? Why ask me what is good? Christ replied. There is only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbors as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? I'm going to pause here for a moment. There's a, there's a phrase that says, read between the lines. So here you have this situation. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus, how could he obtain eternal life? Jesus wasn't surprised or caught off guard by his question because this was one of the most important topics or questions people were asking in that day. However, Jesus was aware that something was wrong with the young man. Rich people at that time, the rich people were, were rare at that time, so there was a good reason to believe that Jesus knew something about him and his reputation. And put on your thinking caps for a moment. Jesus mentioned five, not six, of the commandments about relationship with others. The commandments are divided into two different portions. The first four and the last six. The first four deal with your love to God. The last six deal with your love for mankind. Please don't forget this. The Ten Commandments have two compartments. The first four deal with your love towards God, or we call it vertical relationship. And then the last six are dealing with your love towards mankind, human beings, horizontal relationship. What do you get, or what symbol do you get when you, when you put our vertical and horizontal together? It's a cross. The commandments are Christ's character, all or nothing. So I'm just going to read to you quickly the Ten Commandments. You can find them in Exodus chapter uh, 20. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt have no idols. Three, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those are the first four between you and God, vertical. Now the last six. Number five, Honor your father and your mother. 
Six, thou shalt not murder. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not lie. And ten, thou shalt not covet. So when I said, read between the lines, when the rich one would have said, which commandments must I keep? Jesus knew this man from his birth. And he gave him an answer, and he almost told the man, read between the lines in my answer. Because this Jesus knew what this man's problem was, and so he outlined five of the six commandments that deal with other people. In the text, he says, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not lie on your father and your mother. Which one did he live out? Commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. Jesus, in his discourse with the young ruler, leaves out the last commandment which prohibits coveting. To covet is to crave what someone else has. It essentially is a disease of always wanting more and is rooted in a profound dissatisfaction with the life God has given you. Coveting is what happens when you're not at peace. Look what my neighbor has. Look what my sister has. My brother has this. He has that. How about what God gave you? There are people begging that they wish they could be in your shoes. This rich young ruler, he had a problem with coveting. How do we know? What does the text say? So he says in verse, for he said in 20, I've obeyed all these commandments, those five of the six that he had no problem with. But Christ was like, we were in the lines. I left one out. Hello, ding dong, hello. I've kept all these commandments. Young man, what else must I do? He's basically toying with Jesus, not knowing that Christ gave him the answer already. He's playing around. I'm so good, Christ. What else? Well, what else do you have for me? Hello, you missed the point. So Christ realized that he missed the point. So he said, okay, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So he came right after. Here's how you get rid of being covetous. Give what you have. And then that word that Christ gave him hit him right, right in the eyes, between the eyes. And he's like, oh boy. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go to an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So back in those days, Jerusalem had many, many gates to come in. The smallest one was called the eye of a needle, the smallest gate. And so you had these camels 
coming in with all their trading things, whatever they had on their backs and, and, and the owner, and they had to go on their belly and kind of maneuver themselves, squish through that tiny gate, a camel, probably eight feet tall, however tall it is, and squishing his body through that tiny gate. So it wasn't impossible. But what he's saying is, don't let your monies, your wealth, be your God. Don't let your money or your wealth be your God. Lesson number one, covetousness stands in the way of righteousness. Covetousness stands in the way of righteousness. As our scripture reading read in James 2 verse 10, that I'm going to paraphrase now, keeping nine of the ten commandments doesn't cut it with God. He wants all or nothing. Same thing about what my wife would tell me. I don't want you to have one day of the year to go flip with women all around the, the, the world. I want you every day as my husband or vice versa as my wife. Arthur R.C.H. Lenski writes, a glass that is struck at only one point is nevertheless shattered. The law is not a set of ten pins, one of which may be knocked down while the others are left standing. The law is a unit. Its unity is love. To violate it at one point is to violate as love as such the whole of it. I want to give an example of what Linsky is talking about here. So he's saying that a glass that is struck at only one point is nevertheless shattered. Some call this vase, some say it's a vase, but nevertheless, it's used for many reasons, but one reason is to hold flowers, put water in there, you hold flowers in here. Some may hold sand in here or marbles, whatever you use it for, but this is a vase. And he's saying that if it's shattered anywhere, the whole vase is shattered. That's how you must see the law of God, the commandments. One of them is not being kept. None of them are being kept. He said, don't compare it to some pins. You have 10 pins in uh, the bowling alley where you could roll the ball down and get some points. We hit four and they hit five more. You got nine points. But I guess in the bowling example, it's either a strike or nothing. A strike, not, not a spare, a strike the first time or nothing. Hit all ten pins. You get no points for seven, six, four, three, God forbid a gutter, God forbid two gutter balls. But He's saying here, look at the law as this. Now, I am not saying that we are earning God's love by keeping the law. I'm saying that in a relationship, give your all to it. That's what I'm saying. You can't half-step it. 
Because if it has a crack in it and I, pour, and I pour the water in it, I pour water in it, it'll start to leak. Wherever the crack is, once the water reaches that place, it'll start to leak. And the water will be coming out of it. It's no longer whole. It's shattered. Please don't treat the commandments as ten bowling pins. God said it's all or nothing. So lesson number one, covetousness stands in the way of righteousness. Lesson number two, we cannot pick and choose which commandments we want to obey. My Lord, we cannot pick and choose. That's what this rich young ruler did. He was picking because he had a problem with his covetousness. So he didn't want to deal with that. He had no problem with Loving his parents, honoring them, fine. Don't lie, fine. Don't steal, fine. Don't, don't steal, don't kill, fine. But don't covet, oh boy, I want more. That guy has more shekels, I want his shekels too. Now, of course, every sermon that's preached has to be in a way where you see yourself in that somewhere. <laughs> Do we see ourselves in any way like this young man. Your problem, my problem, may not be coveting. But do we have some lying lips? Do we have a foul mouth? Or whatever it may be, there are a plethora of things out there, obviously. Where do you see yourself? In other words, when Christ talks to you, can you read between the lines? Or are you there having, I've done everything, Lord. What do you have next for me? You have done everything. We could never do everything because we can never earn salvation. It's all about having a walk with God that is genuine. That's genuine. We have to understand this. We can't pick and choose which commandments we want to obey. The man says to Jesus that he's kept all the commandments that Christ mentioned, but Christ did not mention the one about coveting. Jesus tells him to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. You see, this man is battling issues of greed along with selfishness, and those issues have no place in your communion with Christ. Christ assures him that if he desires true wealth, then he can find it in him. He just needed to come and follow him. The young man asks, what do I still lack? He was lacking perfection, which actually means a mature relationship with Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 48. One of my favorite texts in the Bible. Matthew 5, verse 48. Of course, this is in that pericope of Matthew 5 to 7, Sermon on the Mount, is three chapters of, of, of basically red letters. Basically, Matthew 5 to 7 are all basically red letters. Christ is speaking. And Matthew 5, 48, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we have a different understanding of what the word perfect means in our humane state. Because when someone says perfect, you're thinking of minus zero. No faults. But as we know, 
the Bible was not written in, in English. It was written in Hebrew and Old Testament primarily and Greek and New Testament primarily with some Aramaic sprinkle in between the Bible. But in this one, it was Greek, and the word perfect is translated in Greek, teleos. And teleos means mature relationship. How do you know that, preacher? Because if you go back, and even when you compare it with Hebrew, go back to Job chapter 1, when the devil was going up and down and talked to God, and God said, or oh, in the beginning of Job, it says Job was a perfect man. Was he a sinner? Of course. But what does perfect mean? He has a mature relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? He loved like Jesus loved, period. That means love your friends and love your enemies. It's in that same chapter, Matthew 5. And Jesus he uh, defines what perfect means in Matthew 5, from Matthew 5, 43 to 47. Love enemies, do good to those who, who despitefully use you, who mistreat you. Love those people. Then you'd be like me. Yes, we will fall and have problems in our lives, that type of sin, but we'll have a perfect, when Christ looks at us, he'll see his character in us. You're perfect. When people tell me, well, I ain't perfect, I'm like, why not? Don't be lazy. Ask God for the love he has to be in your life. Don't look for revenge. Revenge is for God, he says. I will repay them. Because if you go for revenge, you're telling God, I'll do your job for you in my life. Because God says, those who go against you, let me handle it. Let God handle that person. But if we tell God, I must get them back because I know how to get them back better, you're telling God, I will be the God of my life. Thou shalt have no other God before me, my Lord. And so you have these things. Before I go to my last uh, lesson, I want to talk about some of these commandments. There's two commandments I love to focus on for some reason. Commandment three, commandment four. Commandment four. Remember the Sabbath day? Keep it holy. What does that mean? Keep it holy. I was born and raised in the SDA church. I say SDA from the womb to the tomb. SDA. I've heard the commandment every Sabbath throughout, the, throughout my schooling. It's been SDA schooling from first grade to seminary. SDA. But what does it mean? Keep it holy. And so the only way, after all these years of theology, all this stuff, and preaching and teaching, I came up with this thing that works for me. Because people, just, people used to tell me a list of what you can do on Sabbath, what you can't do on Sabbath. I don't like that. So I said, what's a better way to understand this? Let me go back to relationships, because of what, of what the commandments are. So imagine this. I'll use my family again. Let's say I told my wife, on our 11th anniversary next month, we're going to go to the park, and we're going to have a blanket out there and, and have a little basket and food, and we're going to have our time together. We planned it ahead of time. Then February 14 shows up. We get our basket, our little quilt, 
go to the park, we put the quilt on the grass, we have a basket. And that's when, when we're on the basket, when we're on the quilt with the basket, that's when I go to check my, my Buffalo Bills app. What's happening now, man? <laughs> you see, how would my wife feel if I planned this and now we're at the actual time together, one-on-one, -on -one, and now the bill's traded for who? I can't believe it. She was like, Marlon, you knucklehead. We planned this a month ago. It's our time together. You see what I'm going with this now? God says, once a week, I plan a time with you. Six days, do all your stuff. But that one day is my date with you. You can pray to me any day of the week, that's fine. But only one day is holy. I will hear your prayers on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Sunday, on, on Wednesday. But on Saturday, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, those 24 hours are holy. I want that time with you. So now, picture this, when Sabbath begins, you're on that quilt with God. Is that the time now to go check your emails? What the boss said about for next week's job? To go check your mailbox? What bills are next to do? God said, hey, hello, knucklehead. I'm on the quilt with you one-on-one -on -one time. That's how you know if God is happy or not happy with how you keep the Sabbath holy or not. I can't tell you what to do or not. Your walk with God will tell you if this time on the quilt is genuine or not. Commandment number three. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean? Once again, all my life, born, raised, SDA, I've heard it so many times. And people said, don't say God's name when you're in anger in a derogatory fashion. Yes, that's true. I, I, I agree with that. But that's a surface reading of it. It's way more than that in my mind because being a Christian means What's the root word in Christian? Christ. You're in Christ. So, okay. You're a Christian. Christ is who you follow. That means when you go out to the store, you go out to school, to work, to go jogging, you are a commercial for Christ. That means you're driving to work and there's a traffic, you're about to be late, and you're stuck in traffic, and somebody still comes and cut in front of you, and they know they cut in front of you, and they give you the, the bird salute. You know what a bird salute is? There's a, a middle finger you have, and you give it up to them, they say, I, I got you, they came in front of you. At that point, when you're upset, do you fire back with a bird salute? No. Be still and know that I'm God. When you go anywhere, your co-worker talks about, about you, do you now bring, a, uh, bring a, 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 a more juicy gossip on somebody else to top their work, talk about you? I'll one-up him, I'll one-up her. No, be still. Know that I'm God. Because when you act out of Christian 
conduct, you're taking the Lord's name. And if I remember when I was probably in seventh grade, living in Miami, Florida, in SA school, we went to a camp, Camp Kalakwa, every year for a Bible retreat. And every year, as I'm packing to go with the school to drive five and a half hours to Camp Kalakwa, as I'm packing the house, my mom will come in and say something like, Marlon, you're going to Camp Kalakwa again. Respect yourself. You are a Lamond. When you're there for those five days, may the camp director, the teacher, Never call me and say, you're out there cutting up. You are a Lamont, which meant respect the family name. So if I'm going to give my mom that type of respect, my mom and dad, that I'm a Lamont, I go out there and I go by the rules. They say curfew's at 8 p.m. or whatever. They say I go by the rules. How much more shall we look at our Heavenly Father who says, I want to give you life eternal. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more dying, no more sickness, nothing like that. But just stay on my team. And each commandment can be broken down in far more detail than that. But I would say it's a relationship between you and the Lord. Try to stop on two of them, three and four. And there's, for each one, there's so much to be learned from that. Our last lesson, let's review. The first lesson, we have covetousness stands in a way of righteousness. Lesson two, we cannot pick and choose which commandments we want to obey. Number three, we need to possess our possessions and not let our possessions possess us. You are not your Lamborghini. You are not your mansion. You are not all those letters behind your name. You're a child of God. Those are things God has blessed you with. He's helped your mind to go to school or your muscles to build things or whatever it is to have your bank account to be overflowing. Yes, but the main thing is give your honor to God. It's the J-O-Y model. J, Jesus first. O, others second. Y, yourself last. The young man was not yet at the point in his relationship with Christ when he heard that Christ required all or nothing. He went away sorrowful because he realized the sacrifice it involved. The eager joy he had went up to Jesus turn into gloom and sadness. The price of eternal life that he came seeking was higher than what he was willing to pay. Whatever man loves more than he loves Christ makes him unworthy of Christ as we find in Matthew 10, 37, 38. We must understand, we must possess our possessions and not let our possessions possess us. We cannot live that way. It's easier for a camel to go through eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich man sometimes thinks that it's because of him or her they've reached this status. And they'll step 
on whoever they want to to get there and to stay there. And I'm not here to bang on rich people because there's nothing wrong with being rich. For God's sake, we're the sons and daughters of the Most High. We should be well off. The question is, put in the right perspective. Put in the right priority in your life. God first. God first. Jesus says in Exodus 20, verse 5, that he is a jealous God. He demands to be first in your life, and he demands you give him your all. Why is Jesus jealous? There's something called the great controversy. The way I see it in my brain, it's a tug of war. A huge rope. The rope is, to me, life. There's a ribbon in the middle. That's us. And God's on one side pulling. Satan's on one side pulling. And so there's a line in the sand. Can you bring that rope to your side. Even though Jesus has way more power than Satan, he cannot force himself to use the power for you. You must give him permission. You must say, Lord, I want to be on your team. Help me. Then he'll say, okay, I'll pull you over. Because if he pulls you over without you asking him, Love now is erased. You now become a robot. You have to be able to choose for love to exist. So the devil and Jesus are pulling this. The devil knows that if he loses, there will be one left person to die with him in hellfire. So this is so much my brain going through. The only way that the devil feels that he can defeat God, because he knows he has less power than God, is to hurt the people God loves. And I've said this before copious times. If they put me in the octagon with an MMA wrestler, male or female, I have no chance to survive. They hit that bell, ding, fight. That guy or girl comes to me, boop, that first hit, I'm going to sleep. I'm out. So if I know, I, no matter how much I punch them in the belly, They'll laugh at me because they're trained behemoths to take these, these, these punches. But what if I punch their two-year-old son in, 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 in the belly? Oh, which would hurt more if I hit that man in the belly, boom, or if I hit his son in the belly, boom? Which one would hurt that man more? Hit his son in the belly. Now he wants to literally kill me now. Uh, not just knock me out, but to actually kill me, okay? So that the devil knows... I can't fight against God because he's too powerful, but the best way for God to feel pain is to love, is to hit the ones he made in his image. And that's us. And Christ knows that. So the only way for him to protect us is all or nothing. When you go home and Oh, well, some of us are at home already. But when you look around your house and see a vase on a table or on a shelf, you'll think about the commandments of God. And when these bowling alleys open up again and you go to uh, play a round of, of 
bowling, you think about the law of God. We must see the law of God as a vase because if it's struck at any point, the whole vase is shattered. Don't see the commandments as ten bowling pins. I got five down here. I'm still good. I got six down. Oh, I'm doing real good. Uh Uh-uh. It's all or nothing. Rich young ruler is in this pericope here in Matthew 19, but we could see ourselves in some type of way in this story as well. And so I close by saying Jesus wants all of your loyalty or you have nothing to do with his royalty. Jesus wants you to trust in all of his wisdom or you have nothing to do with his kingdom. Jesus wants all of your worship or you'll have nothing to do with his kingship. And lastly, Jesus wants all of your best or you have nothing to do with his eternal rest. It's all or nothing. Let's pray. Loving Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word. I pray in the fall on deaf ears and someone heard a word from, the, from, from you, Lord. And they would look at their lives, see how they, they may be like that rich young ruler. And they could read between the lines. And I pray upon them and myself, my family, that we will go forward with you all and all only. Lord, bless us, keep us, and save us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.